The White House takes on AI, self-driving cars that learn aggressive driving, and machine learning on small data sets. All this and more on This Week in Machine Learning and AI. Hello and welcome to This Week in Machine Learning and AI, the podcast where I bring you the week's most interesting and important stories from the world of machine learning and artificial intelligence. I'm your host, Sam Charrington, and today is Friday, May 27th, 2016. If you follow me on Twitter, you may have noticed that I spent a few days this week at a conference. It was a tech conference, uh, but otherwise the specifics of the conference aren't particularly relevant to our discussion here today. But one of the keynote speakers at the conference was a gentleman named Martin Ford. Martin is a former software entrepreneur turned futurist, and he's the author of the book, The Rise of the Robots, Technology and the Threat of a Jobless Future. Uh, I'll be honest, Martin's talk was a bit of a downer for the audience uh, at our conference. Uh, It came in the middle of the day one keynotes when uh, all the other keynote speakers were trying to pump everyone up. Uh, And he told a pretty sobering story about the future of jobs at the hands of uh, automation technologies like robotics and AI. Uh, His premise was that IT is fundamentally different than past societal shifts like the Industrial Revolution uh, for a few reasons. Uh, One, because IT continues to evolve very quickly. Uh, And he cited uh, things like Moore's Law here. Uh, Furthermore, he talked about how IT is uh, general purpose, meaning it impacts every business and economic sector as opposed to, for example, just manufacturing. And so as a result, he argues that the potential for job loss and wage stagnation as a result of AI is very high. He cited a few really interesting studies. Uh, He looked at one study that showed that automation has claimed about 40% of corporate finance department jobs between 2004 and 2014. Uh, A lot of the argument, the counter argument to IT, uh, to, excuse me, AI taking jobs is that uh, it also creates jobs. But to counter this, he showed some data that Uh, that showed that 90% of U.S. workers work in jobs that existed back in 1914. Uh, So in other words, the jobs created by technology are relatively few. And so what are the impacts here? Well, uh, beyond just the prospect of job losses, uh, machines don't consume. Only people in government consumes the, consume the final uh, demand that our economy creates. And so businesses need to be able to sell their output. And so this was, as I mentioned, a pretty somber message uh, for the audience. But these are certainly issues that need to be explored. And I think it's in this vein that this week... Uh, the White House held the first of a series of workshops on the implications of artificial intelligence. 
These public workshops, which were organized by the Office of Science and Technology Policy, sought to explore the various legal, policy, and societal implications of artificial intelligence. Uh, they sought to look at how we as a society can ensure safe, controllable, and predictable use of AI, and of course address the question, should government seek to regulate artificial intelligence and its use? The first of these workshops on legal and governance implications of AI was held this week at the University of Washington, and future workshops include uh, a June 7th workshop on AI for social good, a June 28th workshop on safety and control for AI, and the final workshop in the series to be held on July 7th on the near-term societal and economic implications of AI. And I suspect the issues that uh, Martin Ford spoke on will uh, come up primarily on that fourth, in that fourth workshop. This week's session at the School of Law at the University of Washington was recorded, and the recording is up on YouTube. I'll be honest, I have not watched all of it. I've watched the beginning and bits and pieces throughout, but this thing is nearly four hours long. The workshop was three hours and 50 minutes long. I don't know why that surprised me. I've watched C-SPAN before. This wasn't C-SPAN, but... Uh, you see similar things on C-SPAN, but wow, nearly four hours long. That said, uh, there were some heavy hitters present and speaking at the event. Some of the names that jumped out at me were Oren Etzioni, who is the CEO of the Allen Institute for Artificial Intelligence, Pedro Domingos, the, a professor of computer science and engineering at the University of Washington, who wrote the book The Master Algorithm, uh, about artificial intelligence, and Kate Crawford, a principal researcher at Microsoft Research in New York. So, length notwithstanding, the workshop did appear to explore some really interesting questions in the realm of the law and artificial intelligence. One of the central questions that they looked at was this notion of responsibility. In other words, who's responsible when an AI does something harmful? like turns you down for a loan or crashes your car or discriminates, you against, discriminates against you because of your race or gender. One of the central issues around responsibility is transparency. Uh, this notion that uh, artificial intelligence systems are tend to be more opaque than the rule-based systems that uh, have been more traditionally employed. Uh, a great example of this is applying for a loan. Your traditional approach looks at you know, a bank might look at, you know, just a credit score. Uh, and they can tell you that you know, if your loan is declined, hey, the reason why you, we declined your loan is because your credit score is X. Uh, if you have any questions about this, go talk to reporting, credit reporting agency Y. Uh, whereas in a, an artificially intelligent system or in a machine learning system, the system may have developed its own set of rules that are internal to the model based on hundreds or thousands of factors. Uh, and so this notion of explainability is a challenging one in the world of AI and one that is a topic of academic research in the field. Another issue 
that plays into responsibility is uh, the notion of the separation between the model and the training data. In other words, uh, take Microsoft Tay. Microsoft Tay was this chatbot that Microsoft created and put online on Twitter, uh, and it did not take very long at all before uh, the fine denizens of the Twitter sphere, Twitter sphere uh, turned Tay into a uh, you know, raving uh, racist lunatic chatbot. Uh, and so who's at fault there? Is it Microsoft? Um, you know, there, they didn't create a racist algorithm necessarily, uh, but, uh, their algorithm had the property of being able to be, you know, made into this, uh, Hitler bot. There's some, there's quite a bit of research into the, uh, into the, you know, this, notion of uh, the training data set, uh, Emil van Miltenberg, a PhD student in the humanities at Vrea Universiteit in Amsterdam, I'm sure I butchered that, uh, wrote a paper where uh, they looked at the image descriptions in the database of Flickr images and found uh, a pattern of gender and racial bias in the labels uh, that were created by the human crowd workers that labeled those images. And this is the, the kind of process that feeds into uh, many an AI, uh, commercial AI uh, application. You have a bunch of data, you have humans label that data, and then you train a model on that data. Uh, and so any bias that is inherent in the human labelers is going to appear in the trained uh, model. So what are the implications of machine learning and AI systems that are susceptible to biases on the part of the humans that provide the models and the training data to create them? Well, to consider a single example, we can turn to a story that broke this week by a by ProPublica, which is a nonprofit investigative journalism uh, organization. Uh, and their story is called Machine Bias, and it looks at so, uh, software that's used across the country by law enforcement and law enforcement agencies and courts to predict future criminality. And it turns out that they've demonstrated that this software is biased against blacks. So what they did is they obtained the scores that were assigned to uh, about 7,000 people that were arrested in a county in Florida uh, in 2013 and 2014. And then they did some backtesting. Uh, they checked to see uh, how many of these people were then charged with new crimes over the subsequent two years, which is the, you know, the same benchmark that's used by the creators of the algorithm. It turns out that this system exhibits some extremely unfortunate but statistically interesting uh, behavior in the way it rates uh, both white and black defendants differently. Uh, on average, the tool has an accuracy rate of about 60%, meaning it correctly predicts recidivism uh, about 61% of the time. Uh, but that 40% of the time that it does fail, it fails very differently depending on whether the defendant is white or black.
in the case of uh, a mistake called a false positive where the defendant is labeled a higher risk, so was given a high risk score but didn't actually reoffend, it turns out that African-American defendants are twice as likely to uh, be labeled a false positive than whites, meaning twice as often they're given a higher risk score uh, but didn't actually reoffend. Whereas the opposite, called a false negative, where the defendant is labeled a lower risk but did, in fact, go on to reoffend, whites are twice as likely, roughly twice as likely to be the let's say, the beneficiary of uh, a false negative. Um, so the bottom line here is that uh, you can think of it as uh, the white defendants receiving the benefit of the doubt by the AI, uh, whereas the African-American defendants were, uh, were judged more harshly uh, by the artificially artificially intelligent system. And so you have to, you know, going back to our previous conversation, you have to wonder uh, where this bias comes from. Um, and there's a long discussion of it in the article. They talk to people from the company. Um, you know, there's, a, the point is made that it's very difficult to separate uh, race from, class and poverty and other qualities that are other features uh, in machine learning parlance that are present in the data. Uh, and so by training their machine learning algorithms on those features, uh, there is a, a degree of, um, let's not call it a degree of bias. There's the, you know, race comes into, there's an implicit uh, element of race that comes into question. Uh, and so going back to the White House workshop, uh, a couple of, you know, these kinds of issues were recognized and a couple of solutions were uh, proposed in the articles that uh, I read that uh, talked about it. One of these was this notion of auditing uh, these systems. So having external audits uh, of AI systems for uh, factors such as bias and accuracy and uh, things like that. Uh, and the other is this notion of what's called an information fiduciary. Uh, and this goes back to our issue of responsibility. And uh, if you think about, about a financial fiduciary, that's someone who has a financial responsibility to you. Um, you know, a board member, for example, has a fiduciary responsibility to the organization. Uh, an information fiduciary would be held responsible if they use poor quality data to train an AI system or otherwise fossilize prejudices. This is a quote actually from the article uh, in the MIT Technology Review. Otherwise fossilize prejudices based on race, age, gender uh, into the algorithms they design. So a lot of uh, really interesting questions and uh, you know potential issues to explore here. I will include lots of links in the show notes, uh, and I encourage you to uh, dig deeper into some of these issues. Let's lighten things up a little bit and turn our attention to the rumor mill, which brings us a couple of really interesting tech stories this week. 
The first of these comes from Jack Clark, who's an AI reporter over at Bloomberg, whose sources tell him that AWS is preparing a new deep learning offering. Of course, Amazon does have Amazon Machine Learning, their cloud-based machine learning uh, offering already, but uh, they don't have a deep learning offering to help them uh, compete with the likes of Google's TensorFlow, and it sounds like that's what they're working on. Uh, Not just working on it, it's in the hands of customers who are currently testing it. Uh, It appears to be uh, a bit more of an infrastructure-focused offering than TensorFlow. Uh, It supports up to eight NVIDIA GPUs, and it looks like it's going to allow users to use a variety of third-party frameworks. Uh, Google TensorFlow is uh, specifically mentioned uh, in the article, but it uh, sounds like it's going to be uh, broader than that and presumably support an option like Theano or Torch or Cafe. Uh, So that should be interesting, and we'll be keeping our eyes out for that. Also in the news this week are a couple of rumors about Apple. Uh, It sounds like in response to Amazon Echo and the recently announced Google Home offering, which we talked about on the podcast last week, Amazon announced, well, actually they didn't announce, Amazon is rumored to be working on their own uh, voice interface for the home. It sounds like this is going to be in the form factor of the Apple TV, so an extension of the current Apple TV. But uh, more importantly, it looks like to make this all work, Apple is going to be finally opening up Siri to third-party developers. Uh, this is potentially very interesting, as uh, I alluded last week. Siri is one of the systems that uh, does voice interface very well relative to what we currently see with Amazon's Echo, and I'm looking forward to uh, learning more about this as well. Now, our next story isn't exactly from the rumor mill, but because I'm talking about a stealth startup here, we've got just about as much or as little information. Uh, I'm talking here about a startup called Geometric Intelligence, Uh, The company presented on Monday at MIT Technology Review's MTech Digital Conference about its XProp software that aims to reduce the amount of data required to train machine learning and AI systems. One of the examples that was present was training a system to uh, recognize handwritten characters. Now, We've got very effective algorithms at doing this. Uh, Traditional deep learning software have error rates of only about two-tenths of a percent in performing this task, Uh, but they require lots and lots of uh, training data to do so. The folks at uh, Geometric Intelligence were able to train a... Uh, train an algorithm to do this uh, using much less data. In in the example they presented, uh, their system, after seeing only around 150 examples of each digit, would recognize uh, to about 98% accuracy. Uh, Whereas uh, deep learning software 
needed about 700 training examples in order to uh, achieve similar performance. This is important because as company CEO Gary Marcus describes, the problems that we want to apply deep learning to follow a power law in terms of the amount of data that's available to train them. In other words, for there are a few problems for which a lot of data training data is available, but many more uh, there's a long tail of many more problems for which only a little bit of training data is available. So by being able to reduce the amount of training data required to effectively train algorithms, we uh, all of a sudden make uh, AI solutions available to a much broader set of problems. Uh, so the company name is Geometric Intelligence. Not a lot of avail information available on their website, uh, but I will drop a link to this MIT Technology Review article into the show notes, uh, and there's a video embedded there that shows him uh, talking a little bit about the company and the interesting technology that they're working on. So to wrap things up, I want to talk about a great story that uh, appears over in the IEEE Spectrum magazine. Uh, it's titled, Autonomous Mini Rally Car Teaches Itself to Power Slide. Uh, the story has uh, videos, uh, and it is very cool. Take a look at it. Uh, basically, there's a research team over at Georgia Tech that's working on autonomous vehicles, and they've built a, a car vehicle they call Auto Rally. It's basically a one-fifth size vehicle uh, on a remote-controlled truck chassis, uh, it's got an onboard quad-core i7 computer and an NVIDIA GPU. Uh, and they basically have trained this thing. Uh, it is a it's an autonomous vehicle. So you train it by having a non-expert human drive it around the track in a remote control mode. And uh, then it learns how to... Uh, optimize its trajectory, uh, and it uh, does this by computing 2,500 different trajectories and averaging them together uh, and repeating that process about 60 times every second, thus the beefy CPU and GPU combo. Now, to train this system, they simply put it on the test track in a remote control mode and have a non-expert driver drive it around the track casually. Uh, but when they then put it into autonomous mode and crank up the speed, the system is able to exhibit some really interesting aggressive driving behaviors like the uh, power slide that's mentioned in the title in order to keep itself on the road. Uh, and of course, the implication here is that uh, self-driving cars are, aren't always going to uh, have the luxury of uh, great conditions, um, you know, such as uh, clear weather uh, and roads, and may have to uh, drive in challenging conditions that require them to use uh, techniques like they're teaching this vehicle in order to avoid accidents. So definitely a fun story, great video. Uh, I encourage you to check it out. Okay. I said that was going to be the last story, but 
one more quick bonus for the developers in the crowd. Uh, this one is from the MapR blog. It's written by Ben Sedegi, who's a data scientist over, Ma over at MapR. And it is a really cool tutorial on uh, how to do churn prediction using Spark with the PySpark and MLlib libraries. It walks you through all steps of the process, everything from installing and running Spark to getting and importing the training data uh, and includes the code that you'll need to do the data prep, to build and train the models, to evaluate those models. It's all right there. Uh, if you want to see and experience how uh, machine learning churn prediction uh, model is built and run using Spark, check out this great tutorial. All right, everyone. So that's our show for this week. You can find all of the links I mentioned during the podcast over in the show notes, which are on my website at http colon slash slash cloudpul dot se slash twiml. That's cloudpul.se slash twimmel. And of course, don't forget to follow me on Twitter. My handle there is at Sam Charrington, S-A-M-C-H-A-R-R-I-N-G-T-O-N. All right. Catch you next time. Bye-bye.